Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. And if you like what we're doing here, be sure to subscribe and rate us. Today, I am joined by Catherine Jezer Morton. Catherine writes Brooding, a column about family life for the cut. She also does research on mom influencers, momfluencers, if you will, and digital culture's influence on domestic space. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tara. So we had initially met, I'll tell the story of how we met. We initially met at Mom 2.0 last spring. I saw your lanyard and recognized your name because I loved your newsletter, which was called Moms Under the Influencer. It's about the momfluencer industry. And so when I saw your name, even from sort of far away, I was like, I said to my, my friend Libby, Libby Ward, I was like, I need to meet this girl. Like I have to go out of my way to meet Catherine because I love the work that she's doing. So you recently wrote your doctoral dissertation about in some mommy influencers, right? Mommy, mommy bloggers. That's a topic I could talk about all day. I love thinking about it. I love talking about the industry. So Before I go crazy about all of that kind of stuff, Catherine, tell me a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So you know what? It was so great that day at Mom 2.0 when you came up to me because I was so nervous. I was there to conduct research. I basically had to just go up to people and like cold introduce myself and be like, hi, can I ask you about your life? Which is, you know, exciting, but stressful. So like you really broke the ice for me and you're like, hey, I know you. And I was like, oh my God, this is great. This is like exactly what I would like in my dreams, this wouldn't happen. So, and then you introduced me to like your people and I was like, ah, these people are all great. And then it all went from there. So yeah, I finished my PhD in sociology. I wrote about expertise and momfluencers. And then I I had been doing that newsletter for Substack, which I was really just doing to get myself through my dissertation. I like to write for an audience and I'm kind of more of a public writer than an academic writer. So I was like really bogged down in the thesis writing and hating it. And I was like, I'll make this fun for myself. I'll like write fun little articles for like my 10 friends and it'll just like be my little treat. And it turned out that people were really a lot more interested in the topic than I had realized. And the newsletter became popular, which was really not my plan. I mean, I think I might have thought, oh, it would be cool if like, some people read it, but it was more popular than I had expected. So and then ultimately, the cut kind of brought me in to their side. And I write about other things there too, not they didn't want me to do an, a momfluencers newsletter, because it was a little too niche. So I write about family life and like digital cultures entanglement with domesticity, which is really kind of my overall interest. So yeah, so it's been really fun. I feel like working on momfluencers has really introduced me to a lot of very cool and interesting people. And I think one of the things that I've learned is that this area is something that a lot of regular people, they have a lot of opinions about. They're very interested in. They want to talk about it. 
And it's funny because momfluencers aren't necessarily conferred with an enormous amount of respect in like the public arena. And yet I think that they have an enormous amount of, I mean, influence, yes, but like people are emotionally involved with them. So that's something that has been really interesting to learn. I think it's so interesting. Like I said, I could talk about this all day. I could think about this all day. I don't consider myself a mommy influencer. No one listens to what I have to say, so it doesn't matter anyway. No, I mean, my own family doesn't listen to what I have to say, let alone people out there. But I I just, I love the concept of it. You know, when I was in undergrad, I was a communication major and I had a professor, his name was George Gerbner, who he was the man who came up with mean world syndrome, the concept of mean world syndrome, which was like the more news you watch, the more dangerous you think the world is. And he was such a phenomenal media critic and professor. And so I've always then viewed the world sort of through George's lens, right? Like when I, you know, study media theory and all of that kind of stuff. So that's why I I love, love, love what you do. And we could talk about that all day. But today I actually have you here to talk about a different article that you've written, or actually you've written several articles. You've written several articles about affordable childcare. And most recently there was one in the cut about making affordable childcare about wellness. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So affordable childcare is a personal obsession of mine because I live in Quebec, in Canada, which is the only place in North America that has subsidized daycare. So I have two children and they both went to daycare for about $8 a day, which is, you know, it's like in the 200 and it's usually under 250 bucks a month per kid. So we're talking about something that like I put my kids, two kids at the same time in daycare while I was doing my master's degree. That never would have been possible without that that price. I was making I was making a pittance at that time in my life. So I mean, I just probably wouldn't have had a second kid. I probably wouldn't have gone to graduate school. Everything about my life now would be different if it weren't for cheap daycare. So I'm. This is something that I feel strongly about. Also, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm an American and a Canadian. I went to university in the states. My entire family is American. I'm the only Canadian in my family, just because I was born here. So a lot of my best friends live in the United States and I've are, are raising families. And so I'm really, I'm like emotionally invested in the struggle to an extent that it feels like I, for years, didn't even really want to talk about my daycare reality because I felt like it was just so deeply unfair to my friends. I just couldn't believe what they were going through. Just, you know, being so stressed about money, often choosing to only have one child because they just, there was no way they could afford more, you know, et cetera. You know the drill. I don't have to yep. tell you. No, like, I what lived it's like. it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't need to be like going on about that. So it's something that, you know, also as a sociology inclined person, I've watched the way that having universal daycare shapes the society that I live in. It's really distinct. Like it's a whole thing. It's a whole scene. Everyone does it. And because everyone does it, there are like tons of daycares everywhere. <laughs> like the day there's like daycares, like there are bodegas in New York, just because there's a lot of kids, you know, and there aren't even enough daycares. Like the demand outstrips the supply still. We're not quite where we need to be in Quebec. So it's this kind of interesting thing where there's like little kids being like let out to the park wearing little pennies, you know, little colored, what they call dosal in French, every day, all over the city, 
they're out there, you know, and in the snow, they're all like toddling along, holding the little serpent, the little like baby chain gang. And you just see this, like at certain hours of the day, the street is like crawling with these little kids. So it's a funny thing. Like it's, it's kind of structuring. It's part of society. Everyone does it. They, they potty train all of our kids for us there. Like we, I didn't potty train my kids. They teach our kids how to tie their shoes. They, you know, all this stuff. And some listeners are probably like, well, that's a shame, you know, because that's, isn't that your job as a mom? And like, you know, I respectfully, like that's, if people want to stay home with their kids too, like that's not stigmatized here. People do it all the time. It's not like you have to do daycare, but a lot of everyone I know chose to do daycare at least part-time. And it's something that makes life really different. It makes little kid world somehow more public. Like I was saying, they're out there in the world. They're not in the houses. And also the fact that we see other little kids really intimately, I've written about this elsewhere, as part of raising our own children, we have to interact with lots of other little children. And that might seem counterintuitive because like, you're like, well, what, your kid's at daycare all day. You don't like, you're doing your own thing. But in fact, the daycare is like a big part of your life. And you go there to pick up your kid and there's all these other little kids in there and you're seeing the way they are. And, you know, like (laughs) just as a little anecdote, my kid's daycare, which was, you know, like this, honestly, the center of my life for like eight years, even though you might think, oh, how could it be the center of your life? It was. I, I would go in there. There was a little bathroom of the entryway where everyone had to wash their hands when they came in. This is pre-COVID. They were very up on the hand wash. You go and wash your hands. And there was also a toilet in there, of course. And they just left the door open. And I'd be in there washing my hands and washing my kids' hands. And like another little kid would just come in and like get on the toilet. And it was just like, hey, what's up? Like they didn't. And uh, again, maybe some listeners are gonna be like, um, inappropriate, like that's private. But the, the culture of this is like, listen, there's a bunch of little kids in here. A lot of stuff going on. The, all of these kids are basically all of our kids. So like get with the program. And for me, that just really, that worked for me. And it made me feel really good about my kids being in this community of people that now like, you know, there are dozens of kids that I've seen since they were a year old that now I see at the age of 12 walking around the neighborhood. And I'm like, it's a real, it's a real feeling. I want to say one more thing about this. Yeah. So daycare only really works, in my opinion, it, alongside parental leave. Because I think this is another thing that people don't like is like, what, I'm not going to send my kid to daycare at three months full time. I mean, of course, people do that all the time. If they're lucky enough to be able to afford it, they send their kids to daycare when they have to go back to work, which is like six weeks, three months, whatever it may be. But, you know, I honestly would, I I can relate to not wanting to do that because in Quebec, we also have just hella long parental leave paid. I was off for a year for both kids fully. I was like at 78% of my, of my pay. So like, I, I know this feels icky for a lot of people. Honestly, a lot of people are like, I don't want to hear about this. Like I'm like triggered by the thought of you being home for a year with your kid. And I get it. But I also think that like, this is possible for the United States. There's just no excuse for it not happening. I'm enraged that this isn't something that like everybody gets to have. So I guess I just feel like talking about it is the only, my only recourse. So yeah, I was like, after being home with a baby for a year and breastfeeding and doing the thing and sleep training and whatever, all that crazy stuff, 
I tell you, I was ready to send my kid to daycare. I was like, can't wait, psyched. I mean, you know, it's like there's a transition and it's like a little bit emotional. But after a year, you're like, this is awesome. Now we switch gears and we do the daycare lifestyle. So that's my pitch. That's my spiel. And like, I guess I'm an evangelist for this because it changed my life. And I'm like, you know, 50 miles from the American border. Like, excuse me, but this is fucked up that like, I'm so close. And, you know, I mean, I know. And again, there are some listeners probably like, honey, like, please stop talking about this. Like, I realize this. So yeah, I wrote about wellness, right? We're good. <laughs> I've really gone on a tangent. I'm sorry. It's fine. I wrote about how in the United States, it seems like a really tough sell because this is an expensive program because it has to be paid for through taxpayer money. In Quebec, it's fully funded by the government. I pay, you know, 35%, 40% income taxes. If I made more money, it would be like 50%. It's hard to be like really rich in Quebec because you really do pay a lot of taxes. And then you get stuff like these programs. But it's a tough sell and Americans don't like it. And a lot of a lot of uh, lawmakers are against it for moral reasons. And we know all this. So I was kind of thinking through like, well, how can we make this a conversation that more people are interested in? And I was thinking, wellness is something that as an individualistic society, which the United States deeply is, makes a little bit more sense to people because it's like, I, you know, this current system is bad for our health. It's it's bad for our lives. It's causing suffering. All of this is true. Like, I mean, there's just abundant evidence that like families are in crisis over the lack of affordable childcare. It's a detriment to productivity. It's a detriment to like relationships, family stability. I mean, the list goes on. So you really could make a case that this is a wellness issue. I personally think that that's a little bit, I'm not totally comfortable with that. Like I proposed this in my piece where I was like, let's make it a wellness issue. Let's make Gwyneth talk about on goop. Let's have Gwyneth be like, when mothers are in pain, like we need to like help them. I would love that. I would love to see that. But I want to just make clear that I I don't think that that's, I think the solution is really for the government to just cough it up, just cough up the billions of dollars that it's going to take to fund this program and just do it and make it happen. And I swear, like healthcare, within five, 10 years, people will be like, never take this away from us. Never. Like we, we're, we're convinced we're on board, we're paying right? Like it's very hard to get people into it, but once they have it, I, they don't want to give it up. And that's how it is in Quebec. Like we have a pretty conservative government here right now and they can do a lot of stuff. They can change this place a lot, but they cannot touch daycare. And if they touch it, man, like they're out, people are like, we're in the streets. You're, we're voting you the hell out. So that's how I feel. The wellness issue is one that I, I think given what America is, this is a feasible way to talk about this. I love makeup. It's the one thing that makes me feel put together. My hair can be a disaster and I could be wearing sweatpants and a hoodie, but I love having my makeup on. Everyone has their own thing, right? I recently started using Mommy Makeup, a brand specifically designed for busy moms like us. Their products are talc-free, paraben-free, and made in the USA. Using the Mommy Makeup System, you could have flawless makeup in six minutes. I use their Mommy's Little Helper Concealer, the Smudge Proof Anywhere Cream, 
Stay Put Gel Eyeliner, and Mascara. And of all of their amazing products, my favorite might be the Triple Sticks Lipstick and Cream Blush. These conditioning pencils are lipstick, cream blush, and treatment all in one, which is a huge time saver for me in the morning. Mommy Makeup even offers free color consultations, so you could find the best colors for you. Head over to mommymakeup.com and use my special promo code, MOMPROBS, to receive 20% off. That's M-O-M-P-R-O-E-S to get 20% off. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of those points. I'm going to share a little bit of my story, which sort of dovetail into yours nicely. And now I am going to preface this where this is a bit of a story of privilege. So I'm just going to mention that right, right off the bat. When my son was born, we lived in New York City. And when he was born, I thought I was going to go back to work. At, at Nickelodeon. And so I had said to them, like, I'd love to come back to work, but I'd like to go part-time. And they said, no, it's either all or nothing. And I said, okay, I understand that. It's going to be nothing. I'm going to stay home for now. And then I was also thinking, well, I'm going to find a new job. And so directly across the street from our house was a daycare, literally directly. We lived in a high-rise building. I could look out of my window and see into the daycare right next door, like right across the street. So it couldn't be closer if we tried. And when I was pregnant, we had signed up for this daycare because the way things work in New York City, you have to sign up for things like 100 years in advance, like before your child's like even born, you're like already on the wait list to get in. And so finally, by the time he was born, by the time he was three months old, we got off the wait list and then we were accepted into the baby room. And so at three months old, my son did start in daycare. And yes, he was young, but it was a big decision for me and my husband for my own mental health and for my own wellness. And so each morning, and not every single day, sometimes I would keep him home, or if it was snowing, we would just stay home and cuddle. Or, you know, if I just wanted to be with him, then I and I kept him home with me. But I did drop him off at school most days. And that's when one, I was able to do laundry or take a shower or have some time to myself or be able to have lunch with friends like my old coworkers, or I was going on job interviews. And so it freed up my time to be able to do those things that I otherwise would not have been able to do. And also within that, that's when I started to make mom friends. There was this one mom in, in particular, I sort of like eyeballed her and I was like, I want to be friends with her. Does that ever happen to you? You're like you see somebody, you're like, I like when I saw you, Catherine, I was like, I'm going to be friends with her. And it was just as simple as that. So for this girl, Laura, I went out of my way and I saw that she was also a, a working mom and her son was in the same baby room as me and we would drop off at the same time we would pick up. And so then eventually we started chatting and eventually we exchanged numbers. And it was one of those things where you sort of like hype yourself up. We were like, I could do this. I could do this. I'm going to, I'm going to go there and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to make my first mom friend. And so Laura was my first mom friend, but then we became friends with all of the other moms in the baby room. And so that's how we started to build our own sense of community. And frankly, I don't know what I would have done had I not had the daycare in that sense of community. Because although despite living in New York City, which is one of the largest cities in the world, it was incredibly lonely 
being a mom there. We were in our apartment a lot. My son was born at the end of November. And so we weren't going out much, right? So we were home, indoors. Sometimes we would meet people at the park, but that would never really go anywhere. And then meetups were sort of like a big thing, but that we never did those. And so if it weren't for the daycare, and if it weren't for meeting those moms who also had three or four or five-month-old babies, I would have had nobody to talk with about these issues, about, you know, just issues of like sleep training and eating and like, does your baby eat? Does your baby like poop up his back? Like what's going on with all this stuff? And so I agree with you so much about this. Unfortunately, ours was not subsidized. And my husband, who was working at the time, obviously was was footing the bill for that. And it was expensive because, like I said, we we were in Manhattan. But thinking back now, gosh, like it was such a big part of our wellness as a family when my son was born. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, my group text of moms, like my like main group text is all people that I met at the daycare. Like those are my, those are my people. Those are my friends. And I sincerely have no idea what would have happened like you, if I hadn't, if I hadn't met them, I, I can't imagine my life. And so, yeah, it's, it really is. I mean, wellness is at the core of it. Right. So it's true that, I mean, even though I'm a little bit cynical about our individualism, I think it's really our experience. So yeah, no, that's, that's a very, I can totally relate to that story. Yeah. And I just, maybe just to tie it in with the momfluencers thing, cause I know, you know, that's, you'd want to talk about that a little bit. And, you know, one of the things that with the kind of more traditional momfluencers of the Instagram style, which I do feel like we're moving away from, in general, like TikTok is changing so much. And I think just the the scene is changing. And the things that people want to talk about in the momfluencer space, I observe, is really changing. But traditionally, the kind of, you know, the perfect, the lifestyle moms, the like fashion, beautiful, perfect, manicured lifestyle, having children in daycare was not an acceptable part of that narrative, right? These, the whole image that they were selling had to do with being the primary caregiver. Daycare just did not fit with any of that story. So in a lot of ways, I feel like the momfluencer industry has had the unintended consequence of keeping this conversation really just out of the mainstream. You know, brands now, I think, are used to a stay-at-home mom image and that's what they want to associate themselves with. And there, it was just never, we, we didn't, I, I can't think of a big successful momfluencer who was like openly like my kids are in daycare. I just not something I, I can't think of a single one. Me neither. So, I mean, this has an impact over time, you know? And so we associate, I think, and I, you know, I could be wrong, but I think we associate like successful motherhood, beautiful motherhood, aspirational motherhood with primary caregiving. And that is totally whack. Like, I think that's, that's like a total social construct. There's nothing, there's no there there, right? Like, that's something that we invented. And it didn't have to be that way. So I think a new story is possible. Like, it's always, we can always start up and and get a new story going. And I think that we are beginning to see new stories really take hold in the momfluencer space. You know, I'm just thinking about Libby, you know, the, oh my God, what is her handle? 
I Diary love, of I, an Honest Mom. Diary of an Honest Mom, who I met you, she, Tara, you introduced me to a mom 2.0. I love her content. I'm like such a, such a fan. And so she's really writing about like really everyday, like kind of emotional, mental health, ups and downs, like the real kind of lived experience of being in this caregiving role in a way that like, I mean, I just don't, no one was doing this three years ago, maybe five years ago, definitely not. And it's really important. I think a lot of people really love it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Libby has really touched a nerve in such a positive way about having these conversations and really putting words to thoughts that we have. Like even like the concept of like the overstimulation, right? She talks about that quite often. And it's something that obviously I've thought of, but never really put a phrase to. And I'm so glad that she has. And so- you know what's so interesting? I noticed Amber Philip Clark, who is a super mega mom influencer that I've followed forever and ever. She's like one of the original, you know, blonde, perfect Utah LDS moms. But she's really interesting because her narrative has changed too. She's evolved in what she talks about. And she used the word overstimulation like last week. And I was like, what? She's talking about it too. So, I mean, you know, it starts somewhere and it, it, it grows and like, I don't know. This is how change happens, I, as I see it in this space. So it's very interesting to me. Yes. 1,000% yes. Like if Libby's opening the door for those, then everyone else is going to run through and have these conversations. But as you mentioned, like TikTok is really a game changer in this narrative. What have you noticed about that? Like what have you seen? So I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't look at TikTok when I was writing my dissertation, because uh, speaking of overstimulation, I was like, I can't handle another platform. And also my, my supervisor was like, you're not allowed to talk about TikTok because it's the kind of thing where when you're working on a research project, it can just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you never finish. Like you have to create boundaries. So I was like, I'm talking about Instagram and that's it. And then like towards the end, it was like, mm, Instagram's kind of over. Like everyone's moving to TikTok. And my supervisor was like, I don't care. Finish this project you're not allowed to do TikTok. So that was that. And I didn't even download it to my phone. I was like, I'm not looking at it. That being said, the last couple of months, I've started looking at it a little bit just because I would be extremely ignorant not to. And I mean, you know, it's really, God, it's like, where to even begin? Obviously, it's not about perfect visuals, but it kind of is. Like, I think people are still looking really cute. They're they're getting themselves looking right. And I think home interiors are still pretty perfect, but it's, it's so much more of a, it's an argumentative space, right? With stitching, like people are constantly debating. So I think that's really generative and also probably a huge pain for a lot of people. I mean, I know it is, but like, we're talking about messy houses. We're talking about like, you know, there's clean talk, but then there's also like my, like hot mess mom, like my house is, is trashed, which we're seeing. So I think it's it's definitely, you know, it's where people have personalities, right? That's the idea is that you're supposed to bring your personality. So this is a whole new set of affordances that did not exist in Instagram, where you're talking, you're you're doing imitations, you're obviously lip syncing, and you're, you know, you're bringing the, the very fact that part of the content is like bringing other people's voices and pretending that you're saying them. Like, I know this is very like fundamental, but like when we're talking about, in academic terms, like you kind of have to start at the basement and move your way up. So I'm like, okay, that thing where you do the thing where you're lip syncing, like, obviously that's old and maybe it's even like boring, but it is like, that's a huge sea change in terms of how people are representing themselves. They're like, I'm a goofy weirdo. Like 
I'm, you know, I'm a man, like I'm, you know, you can be anybody in doing that. So that completely changes everything. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably good. Like if we're saying like, is it good? Is it bad? I think it's probably good for moms because I think it opens up new ways of just being self-disclosure. But, you know, I, my, I'm working on something about cleanliness right now, clean houses, dirty houses. And I still think that even with TikTok opening the door to like showing your house being not perfect, it's still, there's still like a lot of ideology around cleanliness. And often when people have a messy house, they're talking about how their house is messy and that's okay. Like you can't have a messy house and just not address it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's still like of the topic. And so I'm like, mm, like we're not fully at a place where messy is like normalized. I really don't like using that word, but because it's like, right. If you're going to show mess, you have to have your content be about the mess. Yeah. And I mean, in, in the mom space, I know like you yeah, know, right, teenagers right. are in messy rooms and no one cares, but that's a different set of rules. Yes. We're talking about living rooms, kitchens, that sort of thing. Yeah. That's so that's my feeling about that. Yeah. No, no, no. I've noticed, and I don't know if you noticed as well, that a lot of the, and I'm using this in quotes, like the messiness of TikTok has gravitated towards Instagram and there's a lot less like curated feeds. It's it's a lot less, you know, certain kind of fonts and colors that are used. It's just like put the stuff up as the stuff comes. I've totally noticed that too. No, Instagram is not is, is a totally, it's not Instagram anymore. And there are some people that are still like clinging to that, to the old ways. And I think it might be just mostly because that's what their brand partners like demand that they do real kind of classic fashion moms. And I'm like, okay, like they are beginning to stand out as outliers. I would say as people who are like, I'm not going to be doing the TikTok stuff. I'm going to keep it real clean, real classic everything's posed. And like, I like that. I like it like that, you know? Yeah. But that's definitely not the norm anymore. Yeah. No, I, I've noticed. I mean, I've been doing this for seven years now. So it's it's been a while. So I've really seen, you know, a lot of changes from when I got on in 2016 to where we are now in early 2023. And so it's, I'm curious to see where, where it's going to continue to go because it's just evolving almost almost yearly i feel like it's evolving in a different way i i totally agree like if we had this conversation in a year we totally different stuff i mean i i I really i mean that's what makes this area very fun for me is that it's very dynamic but you know that being said there are certain you know ideologies that are really hard to get rid of and i think in the in the motherhood space these ideologies are incredibly powerful the like what makes a good caregiver and there are taboos that just don't seem to be like we can't we can't seem to dismantle them and i think that's very that's that really kind of keeps me interested in this like why are there certain things that you still can't talk about that you or you know and, and i we can talk about almost everything now i mean there's a lot that we can talk about on you know in this world but there's still things that really get people so riled up that it's not worth talking about you know, we don't talk about like breastfeeding, sleep training. These are all things that like, I think a lot of like veterans in the field are like, I'm not even gonna start. It's just, it's too, it's not worth the trouble. People are gonna, you know. So that's also interesting because then that creates like these new kind of dead zones of conversation that just don't happen. And, you know, daycare is such a mess going back to this. Like, I think 
it's so painful for so many people that they have no affordable care, that they struggle, that it is kind of a dead zone in that people are like, I'm too tired to talk about this. Like, what do you even want me to say? Like, I, I can't with this. So yeah. Can we talk about something fun? Like, can we, can we actually like enjoy life for two seconds rather than like using our brief, precious time wasting scrolling moments to like talk about this thing that makes our lives hell. And so that's another reason why I think this, it doesn't, it hasn't gone anywhere. I said in that piece that I wrote in for the cut that like, sometimes I think that the reason why there is no real affordable option is that, you know, activism for this is stymied by parents who are in need are just too, they can't, they can't, they have nothing to give the cause. And then as soon as their kids are old enough to go to school, they're just like, thank God that's over. I'm not like, they, they just want to forget that it ever happened. The phase of like having like, you know, work and juggling it all. So they're not like going to go and like, you know, join the movement. And so, I mean, that's my little theory about that. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, my son is 10 years old now, right? So I'm literally 10 years out from having started daycare. But if you have a platform to be able to bring up these topics, I think it's important to be able to do so. Oh, I, yeah. But it is, like I said, people want to entertain their audiences. And like talking about the childcare crisis is like not always like entertaining per se. Yeah. that I mean, that's a huge problem. I think about social media right across the board because for me personally, as a content creator, I cover different topics on my podcast than I post on Instagram. And because I think that we could give a proper, I I think we could do it justice talking about it for 40 minutes versus doing a seven second reel that someone goes boop, 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 you know, like scrolling through. And so that's sort of how and why I choose to post what I do and, and to then be able to talk about what I do, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Different, different topics for different formulas for different, you know, different mediums. platforms, yeah. platforms. That's what I'm I, I think that makes the, the most sense. Because, you know, if we put this on YouTube, and someone's watching it for 40 minutes, like, then they could really sit and think through it and say, like, how can I get involved? You know, I, I want to think more about affordable childcare, versus someone who really, I mean, the hard thing about social media is sometimes it's your followers seeing these reels, sometimes it's not, sometimes it couldn't be people further from the the actual topic, right? And so that's what's really tricky about it sometimes as well. Totally. So Catherine, my friend. Yes. What new projects do you have coming up? So I am working on a book proposal. I am going to hopefully write a book for a non-academic popular audience. I don't want to say too much because it's really in the early stages, but I, having finished my PhD, I'm not going to be in academia. I'm not going on the academic job market. I live in Montreal. I'm staying here. I have a job in academic communications at Concordia University that I like, and I'm, you know, right for the cut. So this book project, I'm just really interested in talking to families about how digital culture has kind of infiltrated the groundwater of their lives. And that's all I'm going to say. But I'm really looking forward to working on something where I can talk to people. I love I love meeting people. I love getting to know what their houses are like, what their real family, like nitty gritty stuff is. Like that's that for me is kind of where it all happens. Like I just love the home as as a place where like really just like the hummus of life exists. So I'm hoping to be able to do some more writing about that. But in the meantime, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying doing this newsletter and hoping to just 
you know, continue to expand what I write about. I have no idea what I'll be writing about in a few months. So I'm always open to ideas, to suggestions. I'll I'll think desperate for suggestions sometimes. So truly send them my way. (laughs) Send them my way. Do you think you'll be writing a little bit more about affordable childcare? If there's things to write about, I mean, absolutely. It's my personal obsession. I would, I would do anything to help, you know, I don't live in the United States, so that's like a limitation, but I would love to help this cause to become, you know, part of a big conversation in any way, because I think it's so important. Yeah. Catherine Zader Morton, where can we find you online? I am on Instagram at kjezermo. I am on Twitter at kjezermorton. I don't really like Twitter anymore. I don't post there very much, but I remain there because I kind of have to. And I am on The Cut at Brooding, which is the name of my newsletter. You can find it if you search Brooding The Cut. That's it. It's so good. I read it every week. It comes out weekly, right? I, I, every two weeks. Every, every two, two weeks. weeks. Okay. I read it every two weeks. I, I like how it is different from Mothers Under the Influence. I mean, there's you know a, a different tone to it. Obviously, the one was about mommy bloggers and the other one is more, like you said, digital culture in general. But I also feel like you in, interject more of your own personal life, you know, thoughts that you're having about your children or travels that that you had. So yeah. I enjoy that. I think thank everyone you. should subscribe. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you for, for sure. I know we talked about like a lot of different things and whether it was mommy bloggers or affordable childcare, but I think they are all important. And I think it's important that we have these conversations. Well, yeah, I just really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Tara. Of course. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.